The destination of this train is North Station. Welcome into another edition of North Station Hoops. I'm your host, Nate Georgie, and I'm joined alongside the man who essentially got to interview Ben Taylor, I guess you would say. Uh, Scott Levine, Lottie Scavine, Scotty Two Gloves, Scotty Buckets. Scott, how are we doing, man? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I know we're both excited for the NFL draft tonight. Um, I'm sure... If you can just uh, think about basketball for an hour or so, that would be great, Nate. I'm trying. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really hyped for that draft tonight, to be honest. Uh, all right, Boston Celtics, man. They finally fucking – I don't know, man. I, I We'll get into just the, uh, the highs and lows of this team <laughs> this season because it's absolutely ridiculous. I was like – the last, like, week or so, I've just been kind of like meh on, like, just keeping up with ball. Um, and then that win last night, I know it's stupid to say, but with that win, I was like, oh, okay, I kind of like basketball again. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that extreme, but, you know, you have those burnout phases. And let's get right into it, though. Um, I know you wanted to start with Aaron Neesmith, who had the best game of his career, like, easily on both ends of the court. I'm going to let you get right into Aaron Neesmith because you're fresh off just watching what he did. It was it was just awesome to see, but get right into it, man. What do you got on him? Yeah, and you mentioned how you kind of felt a little burned out on the Celtics. Uh, Our listeners will notice we kind of took two and a half weeks off from potting. Uh, Didn't feel like there was going to be much to talk about. But then we realized, hey, you know, some of these young guys, whether it's Neesmith, whether it's Peyton Pritchard, um, are having really good games lately. And we'll get into both of them and others. Um, But I do want to start with Neesmith. That does seem like the place to start. Uh, coming off that performance last night where he had 15 points, nine rebounds, uh, three steals, and three blocks. was originally four blocks, but um, they took one away from him. Uh, I guess they considered Luke Cornett got it on that double block. But anyway, uh, that kind of tells the full picture. Um, I think that he was kind of advertised pre-draft as like this shooting specialist. And I didn't hear much about his defense or his hustle, or his rebounding uh, coming into the draft. And honestly, if anything, I heard that he was a bad defender, or like, you know, a hopeless defender, or whatever what people want to say. Um, never really quite made sense to me in the few games I did watch. He did seem like he understood, you know, rotations, and uh, he's obviously 6'6 with a 6'10 wingspan. How bad can he be if he knows where to be most of the time? But, uh, we're seeing that whether it's, you know, just buying into Brad's uh, demands for playing hard on defense every night or just he had this all along and, you know, gets to focus on it more. We're seeing him become this kind of two-way, and I hate to use that term because I feel like you call every young athletic shooter a two-way prospect nowadays, but I'm seeing stuff from him on the defensive end that I did not expect. Yeah, when he got drafted, um, I know, the like you said, the big calling card was that the movement shooting and just how good of a shooter he was. Like, he shot – it was over 50% last year at Vanderbilt. It was a limited sample. I know he missed a ton of games. But and I would draw – I didn't even look – well, I'm, obviously, I looked at that. But I was more interested, and I was like, listen, this guy is, like, athletic as shit. 
He's got a 6'10 wingspan. I was like, this guy can be, you know, one of those switchable wings that Danny Ainge, you know, just loves to stock up on um, amongst Langford and other guys. Uh, but he um, – his motor <laughs> – I know you put it in the notes. This guy doesn't stop running. This guy – Jalen Brown said it last night after the game. This guy's going to fucking hurt himself with how hard he crashes the glass. Every, every If you tune into a Celtics game and you watch probably 60 seconds of Aaron Neesmith, odds are you're going to see him hit the deck and get flipped in an awkward way um, every game. Uh, but listen, I mean, if you're a young guy like that, that's part of your calling card. And he just like – he hustles his ass off on both ends of the court. He crashes the old glass, crashes the defensive glass. Well, I just am glad you brought up the motor. Um, you did mention that I had the opportunity to talk to uh, Ben Taylor on sense and scalability. One thing that I took away from that is that he really emphasized that motor has to be seen as a separate skill. Um, you look at guys, he, he talked about how, you know, there's always guys who have all the tools and have all the skills. And it's like, why isn't he better than he is, you know? Um, and maybe they even like have the smarts to execute it, but just being willing to stay disciplined and make the right play every time is something that comes easier to some over others. So it's like, I think that Neesmith's best skill, and this is going to sound really corny and kind of like uh, old head, but is just the willingness to stay engaged and make the most of his defensive tools of his defensive awareness, because, um, all of that stuff is great, but it doesn't mean much if you don't have a guy who's like committed to playing his ass off, like you said. Yeah, I think motor is one of those things. First of all, it's not something you can like teach at all. Players either got it or they don't. It's in, engraved in their head or not. Um, for a guy like him, where he isn't gonna like, very rarely is there a set ran for him. Very rarely is he involved in the on-ball action. You know, those are the ways you got to impact the game. Uh, that's how a lot of young guys have to, you know, squeeze into the game like that. Langford does is, you know, I think Langford has a pretty high motor, especially in the defensive end as well. Um, but one thing I want to get into Aaron Neesmith, uh, I actually have a question for you uh, about him. Do you notice something weird in his shot? I know the shot is starting to fall. Has There's like a hitch. I don't know if it's always been there dating back to his uh, college days, but have you noticed that as well? One thing I notice is he's extremely comfortable um, catching from his side or off a dribble and pulling up. Like he almost looks more comfortable in those situations than just off a catch right in front of his, like on the numbers, like you, like, like coaches tell you to hit shooters right on the numbers. Um, maybe he kind of dips down to the right a little bit when he, when he loads up. Uh, I think a lot of times a base dip is pretty fixable if, if you if they do want to go that route. Um, it's something that Jason Tatum kind of had at Duke where he would like kind of bring the ball down before he raised it up. And obviously Tatum's kind of an outlier in terms of shooting development. But these things usually don't concern, you know, shoot, shot doctors, shooting coaches, guys like PD Webb, who I, you know, absorb the work of and try to just take that into my own analysis. Um, so I think – Maybe it's a little bit of a hitch, but it doesn't seem like one that's going to be a problem long-term. It wasn't like anything that I think is throwing a shot off, but it was very interesting to see. He definitely appears a lot more comfortable recently shooting. Um, he had that uh, 
he had another good game against Phoenix. And it's just for him, as a young guy like him, once you see one go in, you know, it just builds the confidence, and that's what you need going forward. Um, uh, there were actually a couple of players I wanted to bring up about Neesmith last night where even in the last few games uh, that he played, I know we've got uh, some good run against OKC as well as against Brooklyn. Something that I didn't see from him really at all through the first whatever months or – 60 games, whatever it was, 50 games. Um, he looks more comfortable attacking closeouts now. Um, I've seen a couple times now where last night especially, there was one where he, he was in the corner, pump faked and went uh, from – actually, excuse me, he was from the wing. I'm thinking of the wrong play. Pump faked and went, got into the teeth of the D, and then made a kick out pass to Pritchard right on the wing, on the opposite wing. Um, it's just something I didn't really see. Um, before I would just see him, if he did attack a closeout, he would pump, go, and then just pick up his dribble five feet instead of the line and then just look to, you know, hand it all back off to a star player. Uh, but he looks more comfortable there. And he had that uh, that running floater attacking a closeout last night too. Um, it just looks like, you know, maybe the game's slowing down for him. It's funny because I had a note for Neesmith about that play. And we'll get to Pritchard and maybe some of his limitations. He has a lot of great things. But that play in particular I want to talk about, uh, if I remember correctly, it was Neesmith attacked the closeout and he sees that Miles Bridges is kind of zoning up against uh, Pritchard and I think it was Jalen in the corner on the other side. And he kind of sees that Miles Bridges' back's turned to Pritchard. Boom. Like that's a really great read to be able to interpret the weak side like that. Uh, interpret where the guy who's zoning up to on the weak side is more likely to go, where he's more likely to recover. And since he chooses correctly, it's actually Cody Martin who helps off of Tatum on the opposite slot to recover onto Pritchard. And I got kind of frustrated at Pritchard for not hitting it one more to Tatum on that play uh, because then the next rotation was going to be um, Devontae Graham. After sinking, he would have to fill up to Tatum and go from under the rim to closing out Tatum and Tatum would have had like a few seconds to not that he needs it, but to like sink that shot. So that's just a side note that we'll get into about Pritchard and maybe some of his situational awareness, but yeah, they hit Aaron Neesmith had uh, that play. He had one where he kind of um, closed out off the baseline on against the Hornets in the second quarter and, you know, <laughs> he tried that play on the Nets and he tried to yam it on Joe Harris and got blocked. That would have been sick. Uh, I will have, in a classic Aaron Neesmith fashion, he still saved it out of bounds <laughs> in that same possession. Um, but yeah, he's just looking, I think, confident. And like you said, comfortable is the term I keep thinking of when I watch him with the ball now. Um, we kind of lamented that, you know, we need guys to attack, close out, continue the play uh, earlier in the season. And uh, why kind of, that's kind of why Langford was playing over him for a little bit, I think. But it's just since Neesmith has gotten back into the rotation, it's, he's looked a lot better in that regard. The last thing before we hop off Neesmith that I want to mention, it's a little thing, um, but I think it speaks to how the game is. He's just getting more comfortable out there. Um, he's been pretty animated with refs, I've noticed, the last couple of games. There was one last night where he took a charge. And they called it a blocking foul. I think it's the play Brad actually challenged. And he was pissed. He was up in the ref's face. And then I saw another offensive play where he was pissed at the refs. 
Um, I went back and watched a little bit of the OKC game, and I noticed another play. I didn't see for, see this from him at all to start the year. Um, and he's he's getting comfortable because he's bitching at refs. He, he's a, truly an NBA player now. And I think also, like, I don't know, just his facial expressions. Like, he's a very expressive guy. Um, you can always tell what he's thinking, <laughs> I guess, uh, based on those reactions. And, you know, he has no facial hair or anything. So you just get a full look at his mug every time he gets a bad call. So I think that's also part of it. Yeah, yeah. Very, very chiseled jawline, I will say. Yeah. Andy Smith. He's uh, handsome. That's the last thing. That's the nice, that's the last nice thing I'll say about him. <laughs> All right. Um, you mentioned Peyton Pritchard br- briefly. We're going to get into him because he's been, uh, he's been hot. The PP's been hot. Um, All righty. <laughs> um, so I guess what I will start with him is uh, just, you put it in the uh, notes as well, just his the range on his shot and the, how comfortable he is, it's, it could potentially just be a game changer, not only for his game, but how it can open up other things for other Celtics with the way they have to defend him. So uh, I'll let you get started here on Pritchard. Yeah, I think the best way to talk about it is not only is he making open shots, he is like, there are situations where there just is no advantage. Like there was one play against the Thunder where it's like Jabari set a flare screen for Pritchard to just curl off of him, like 27 feet from the hoop. Maladon doesn't really like fight through it that well. And then there was no advantage there. They hit it to Peyton Pritchard. He has like four feet of space, uh, 28 feet from the hoop, and he just splashes it. And it's like, if if that is being made at like 37, 38%, those long, long range shots, all of a sudden that creates a scramble. All of a sudden he is kind of a advantage creator just because you have to send help. Maybe you have to bring a second guy up, just not prevent him from getting that shot. That would probably be a high end outcome. And there's other reasons uh, why it might not happen. You know, we're going to talk about how he might not be quite the movement shooter, but just like being able to run off a few screens and catching the ball and making them respect you from 28 feet can be an advantage creation unto itself. There's another little thing he does that, when we don't have an advantage, he doesn't have an advantage that he does is if he's getting a ball screen, say uh, sometimes it's right at the three-point line, sometimes it's five feet back. If the guy defending him isn't jumping that screen right away, or there's a lot of time where Pritchard will just hold the ball, not take the screen, kind of stand in like a three-point or in a triple threat stance and then just just take it uh, from 30 feet, you know, without – it's just – I don't know. The confidence he has, the range he has is very impressive. He's shooting 41% from deep on the year now where he was pretty cold for, you know, he, he started the season hot and then he hit a rookie wall that he looks like he's just jumped right through now. Over the last eight games, he's shooting 47% on six attempts a game, um, averaging 14 points a game as well. Two, probably the two most impressive scoring outputs of his career were two of the last four games against OKC. He had 28 and he had 22 against Brooklyn. Um, One thing with him that I noticed is um, you mentioned it with the movement shooting. He isn't a movement shooter. Um, I guess I'll just say that point blank. He, he never, I mean, at Oregon, he obviously was not used that way. Um, I don't expect him to be asked or ever used that way here. Um, So a question I have for you is how, how is he going to create advantages if teams um, 
if teams it, like because the way he loves to get a shot off is on is at at a ball screen. Um, if the defender goes under, he's gonna launch it every time. Um, and a lot of the time, he's a good catch and shoot player. A lot of his threes also uh, when the ball gets swung to him. But how is he gonna be able to get that shot off if he can't, you know, run around screen, do off ball actions like other guys? Yeah, so I think it just requires a different type of off ball action or of a different type of running around screen. Uh, when we say when when we talk about the things that don't make him a movement shooter, it's mostly just that he always shoots with his feet square at the hoop. There's no situations where it's like JJ Redick, like, and of course I compare him to a white guy. Uh, let's say Cam Johnson. Um, let's say uh, you know Joe Harris, where it's like uh, he isn't square. He catches the ball and it's up. Um, there's no, there's nothing like that. He's not that type of ridiculous movement shooter. Um, however. I think he can create advantages off movement in other ways for himself. Um, One way I'm thinking of is, while it's not necessarily like those guys, uh, he can kind of be dribbling at a pretty decent pace and pull up. Uh, You know, he has that footwork where he can square really quickly and rise up. Um, So it's less of like he gets the handoff and immediately twists his body and fire up. It's more like he gets the handoff, uh, maybe takes a dribble or so, fakes does an up fake and then like another dribble and either jumps in for the off the dribble three or the off the dribble mid-range it's like a different type I, I would compare it more to like how you know Tyler Hero isn't exactly a movement shooter uh there I go with another white guy uh but he's getting versatile shots because he has a bunch of off the dribble utility and really high release speed um and then if they play it too much and we'll get to Pritchard's, Pritchard's driving game he can also uh, put it on the floor and go to the rim yeah, I guess we'll. I, I like to get right into that because he has, when it comes to driving the rim, he, well, first of all, he's not like, I know his nickname is Fast PP, but he's not like actually really fast um, or, you know, athletic whatsoever, but he's got an incredible handle. He, when he attacks the rim, he's very, I know it's like such a white guy term to say, but like crafty. Um, he, uh, he's just really good at slowing his footwork down. Um, not just going straight to the rim at a fast speed. You know, he's really good at using those two long strides, um, you know, bumping into guys. And he's got, he's a solid finisher with either hand. You know, he's got good touch around there, which I think if teams, you know, if teams start, if he's hot any game or if teams in the scouting report know that every time he gets a ball screen, you either have to fight your ass off to get over that screen. You have the head, you have the blitz or something, not let him get that shot off. It's going to open up a lot for him getting to the rim. Um, you've already seen bursts at it, like, especially in the, in the fast break and in transition, he's great at getting downhill and just finding openings. Um, very smart player. I know that's another white guy thing, but he's just a smart guy who takes care of the ball. What, what else do you have on his finishing? Yeah. And one, my favorite move that he does, I almost want to call, uh, I know he already has the nickname fast PP, but another nickname I thought of him, you know, the Pokemon Diglett. Yes. Uh, yeah. So basically last night, huh? Exactly. So uh, basically, you know, it's a Pokemon that just goes underground and like pops up and like digs under other Pokemon. Uh, and I kind of think you, I saw this play where he like dislodges Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin. I know he's lost athleticism, but he, I don't think he's lost any strength. He's still Blake Griffin um, against the Nets where he just like gets so low. His center of gravity is so low that he just pushes these behemoths off and then carves out space for a finish. Um, he also, you know, like you said, the footwork's great. He had two, like, wrong-footed layups 
poor Tony Bradley couldn't do anything about them um, against the Thunder. But, uh, geez, like, you have that. You have – I think he can make, like, rudimentary reactive passes. Uh, I talked about it earlier in the podcast, but, like, he's not always anticipating where the pass is going to be. There's sometimes where he'll, like, drive into traffic and he'll kind of get stuck or he'll do, like, the Nash move where he, like, dribbles under the hoop. And it looks cool, but really what that's often doing is, like, giving him more time to figure out who the open guy is. And sometimes uh, it makes that passing window a little bit smaller, um, at least anecdotally in the few clips I saw him do it. Uh, but outside of that, he can, like, kind of hit the dump-off pass. I think Robert Williams coming back is going to be huge for him because he's really good at that where is the big man uh situation if if he's you know not respecting my drive I'm going to power through if he's playing up it I'll I'll look for that dump off pass and you know we have Jabari Parker now who can finish those dunker spot uh attempts but I think Rob is by far the best on it just because of his athleticism and I really love when those two play together and have that synergy going they have a great synergy like the PP sometimes he throws ridiculously audacious lob attempts to him um, with can probably every single Peyton Pritchard turnover this year is a, a, a lob attempt to Rob that he throws about two feet too high. Um, but he's got great chemistry. They have great chemistry together. Um, one thing about Pritchard and his passing, like you mentioned, he's not going to manipulate a defense. He's not going to really see the pass cross court on the weak side when the, when the guy, the low man's over helping or anything like that. Um, but he has such a good handle, like I said, and his head's always up that he sees those easy, obvious passes. He's very good at those one-pass-away ones, and he can always get to those spots. Um, so that's why you see it a lot. And, yeah, uh, exactly. Like, when I say that he's not, like, this instinctive passer, that's just explaining why, you know, he might not be the next Kemba Walker for the Celtics. I still am, like, you look at, like, the guys who maybe your their handle and their scoring is ahead of their passing, like the high end of that is guys like Lou Williams, like Jordan Clarkson. Um, I, I would be thrilled if like PP got close to those guys, but I think we have to like, I think the rap on him going into the draft and after the draft was like, you know, solid backup point guard. I think we kind of have to shift the window a little bit to accommodate for those high end bench scorer outcomes. You tweeted it beautifully, and I mentioned again last night that, you know, your ceilings kind of have to adjust if a guy's an outlier shooter. Like, if Peyton Pritchard can be a 40% shooter with insane range and, you know, just makes defenses bend in a certain way where they have to account for that, and that might not even mean he's his scoring numbers are going to go up, but that's just going to open up things for Jay, both Jays and Kemba and whoever he may be out there with. Uh, maybe Fournier, God forbid, he hits a shot. Uh but um, uh, moving off of Pritchard, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Langford. Um, I know you said you were gonna, you were planning on watching, uh, or you weren't planning on him, but you did not want to watch all his uh, defensive possessions against OKC. I did. I went back and watched everything. Um, I was like really, really impressed with his defense. Um, he's turning into a rear view contest monster. Like, he never gets screened out of the play. He's always trailing the play. And this is one of those things where I said with his motor, even if he gets screened out of the play, he's always hustling to get back in and gets a good contest on. Um, so that's mainly where I've been impressed with him. His off-ball, off ball, his on-ball, Jesus, defense has still been good as well. 
Um, I think the offensive struggles, I guess, is his biggest like knock right now. Is the ball is just not going in. He's not hitting shots, um, which is we, a lot of shots are makeable shots. Like he's missing easy putback layups that are just like rimming out. He's missing those floaters that he's he he hit his whole career at Indiana. Um, but yeah, what do you got on Langford, Scott? Part of that, I'm worried that the book might be out that like teams are seeing if he can make a three pointer before they like press up on him um, before they close out hard to him. And I think Langford, if he's not going to be initiating the play, a lot of his offense is like predicated on demanding that closeout, which is like a reductive thing to say. I think our friend Div B um, stat center had a tweet a couple years ago where it's like, it's kind of a bummer uh, that 70% of draft prospects offensive game boils down to, Will they or won't they shoot? <laughs> um, and I think Langford's like a perfect example of that. Uh, so I, you know, it's kind of been there sometimes, not been there other times. I'm not too worried. I, I wonder if it's like there off the catch. A lot of his most impressive makes are kind of off the dribble. Anyway, on defense, everything we said about Neesmith can kind of apply to him, where it's just like he is knows that that's how he gets on the floor. Um, he kind of uh, has this like really smooth laid back way of playing offense. And then as soon as he gets on defense, he's just like, it's like, he's basically, um, you know, he has like a, (laughs) it's like he's SpongeBob at the driver's license and he's wearing the antenna and Brad Stevens is yelling him in his ear to like make every single rotation properly. I still think he might get lost sometimes, but it's becoming less of an issue. Well, if you want to talk about where he got lost, so he played 21 minutes against OKC. And like I said, I thought I was very impressed with his defense. He gets a DMP yesterday against Charlotte. And when I went back and watched everything, Scott, I, I, I saw it. I, I fucking saw it. I saw why he got benched. So he got subbed out for basically the stretch run on the fourth. He came back in um, for defensive reasons uh, right at the end. Uh, so here's the situation. Celtics were down three, 22 seconds left. OKC has the ball. Boston pulls out a full court press. Okay, so he breaks it, and Langford's left with a two-on-one. He's got Baisley coming downhill, and he's got a guy in the corner. So this is what happens. The guy in the corner cuts while Langford goes up to Baisley, leaves the guy wide open, uncontested dunk, game over. Brad Stevens was fucking irate, man. He, he just Langford put his hands up because he, he Brad was yelling at him. Brad threw his hands up. He was pissed. He was yelling, um, and that is – like you can't tell me otherwise that is why he did not play he got that brad treatment where you miss a bad rotation you just get benched you know you see it happen to grant all the time um that's what happened i saw it it was just like it sucks because he was having a great defensive game and then he messed up right there and it ended the game basically we probably still won the one either way but brad was pissed yeah now that you mention it i i know exactly the play you're talking about i was just kind of overwhelmed by disappointment and didn't see the breakdown or the mechanisms behind that play i just saw basically dunk it and was like well that's the game um but uh yeah that's like that's that's the perfect encapsulation of like i'm gonna sound like a broken record but like you know langford knows where to be all the time he has great motor he has great iq uh when he gets in those weird situations like that's a one-of-one situation that's Uh, a draymond green can make that play situation. yeah 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 that's like a thinking on your feet and just like somehow like on the fly you've never been in this exact scenario and you just do the right thing um 
that's just not Langford. Uh, it will be when he gets more pattern recognition. I was thinking about this today. Um, I almost think that like Indiana was a terrible context for him defensively because a lot of times what he was asked to do is the stuff that he already is good at, like on-ball defense, um, chasing around shooters. And he's not quite the on-ball defender um, to like, he's not going to be Pat Beverly in the NBA. So it's going to be important that he can like learn those on-ball reps too. And he certainly has, is good, I would say for his age at that. But um, I almost think that if they just exposed him to more weird situations off-ball, used him more off-ball in Indiana, it would have better prepared him for the pros. But, you know, I understand that, development priority is, isn't always focused on pro. If, if Langford's this on-ball menace, you're going to want to have him on-ball in college. Um, but I was just thinking about that today. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna clip this play below uh, when we post this pod. I'm going to put it below because people have to see it. It's just – it was such a tough play to, to have to think on your fly and do. And I, I'm just pissed that Brad reacted like that and, and he got – a full out DMP didn't even play. I mean, we won. We blew, well, we didn't blow him out. We blew a lead, but uh, we won anyway. So whatever. But I mean, those are important. I guess it's not an important learning step because it's just such a freak rotation to make. And now you got him probably in his head. Now he might be overthinking stuff. I don't know. I'm not a coach. I'm not a development coach. But I just you know I don't. Maybe there was another reason why he was benched, and it might have to do to do with his shot making or inability uh, to hit shots. So. Yeah, I don't know. I was just upset to see him not play last night. Yeah, and Neesmith did play 31 minutes, which is kind of like, you know, sometimes Neesmith plays like three minutes, sometimes eight minutes. So seems like there are like almost at this point 30, 35, maybe 40 some nights minutes for the both of them. And whoever Brad is feeling, whoever's playing well, gets those minutes right now. Well, yeah, especially – well, if Neesmith wasn't playing so well, maybe Langford would have actually came in. But um, Neesmith played amazing, as we all know. All right. Uh, is there another young guy you want to bring up? Just a quick tangent on Grant Williams. Um, I think, I, I don't know. I try not to pay too much attention to like uh, Doomsday Celtics Twitter, uh, but a lot of them are just like not Grant's biggest fan right now. <laughs> they hate him, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll look better once we get Rob fully back in the fold. I think part of it is that when you have a center rotation of or big man rotation of Grant of – Tristan Thompson and Luke Cornett. That's just not enough scoring. That's not enough offensive punch. Um, so you get situations where like Grant is like trying to finish these roles. He's trying to like post up smaller guys. He's trying to like catch in the dunker spot and make a play. And you know, it'll either be okay or he'll just rack up three offensive fouls. Um, the thing I do like about Grant Williams is that he's fearless. He just really doesn't care about failing. It seems like his, time on the court is his own personal like basketball experiment a lot of the time where it's like oh how much can I cheat under the rim to contest this how how much can I get away with physicality here uh what can I and can I do and I kind of like players who learn and develop that way I often think it yields good results um for Grant he still is kind of limited by his physical things (laughs) it's uh, he's kind of short for you know (laughs) a big man and then he's not as athletic so he'll have plays where he like has a perfect rear uh perfect like weak side verticality contest um but he can't he has to like oftentimes he has no margin for error on plays like that which i think is the biggest thing so um because of that he always tries new weird shit uh to make up for his physical limitations and 
I am a fan of him figuring it out. You know, he, he, he's been there for us in important situations. I, I don't know if we win the Raptors series without him. Um, so I just kind of trust him to figure it out. Yeah, I think what you said one pod was the problem with him at times is he tries to galaxy brain everything. Like he knows the rotation that he should or could make, uh, but he tries to one-up that and like cheat one extra pass away or something like that. Um, so, I mean, that's his biggest issue right now. And he played – he basically got a DNP last night as well. He played 35 seconds against Charlotte. So, yeah, um, I think that's it for young guys. Um, speaking lastly on that Hornets game, last thing I'll say, um, we don't have to get into Jalen Brown's scorching heart right now. We don't really have to get too deep into him. But what I love from him is just how – his quotes after the game about how there's no more just like, you know, we have to just figure it out and just do it, you know, stop talking about it, be about it. And that is 100% what he did last night. That Last night was probably the most impressive uh, – hustle game I've seen from Jalen Brown. I saw like two or th- – I don't know if he got his – blocked them all, but two or three just chase down plays, um, always sticking with the play, these transition opportunities that he is just feasting on right now. Um, he's been an incredible transition player over the last whatever it's been, two or three weeks. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, it was the J- Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum takeover, arguably their most efficient blow-up game together yet i think they were the first celtics pair to score both over 35 since like i think it was like 1968 or something um so just a great great uh great job the two-star players just stepped up and just said you know we're not gonna lose this game tonight and i talked about how a lot of like i had a tweet that like all the draft picks the common thread from 2018 to 2020 is that there's these are all high motor guys the guys we just talked about they all play super hard um and I think that's made easier when you look at Jalen Brown and you look at Marcus Smart. You look at Kemba Walker taking charges, uh, weak side rotation. Um, even Tatum, like he has a very kind of smooth game, but he's playing hard as hell uh, on defense especially. And so, like, I think that it becomes a lot easier to buy in as, as a young guy when, like, you see your star players like Jalen Brown uh, playing the hardest out of everybody. Um, I think that's – I, I, I'm going to sound like a cliche, but like that's kind of the filter through which Danny Ainge and like, you know, Brad Stevens try to acquire talent is just like high motor guys. And oftentimes um, if we're not playing well, it's, it's, you can, you can usually look towards like, not like effort, like the talent is clearly there. Um, and we're kind of getting back to that. I know it's been a hard season to bring it every time and, you know, again, I probably sound very old head and like reductive, but like, God damn it. It's just motor is important. And when it's there, it's there. And when it's not, you really notice it. And it's been there. Uh, maybe not for the Thunder game the entire time, but definitely for the Hornets game. Speaking on Kemba, you know, he leads. Actually, I just pulled it up. He's now second. Blake Griffin passed him, but he's second, tied for second in the NBA and charges John. 20 total. Blake Griffin leads the league at 21. That's yeah, awesome. no, it's it's sick. Um, I've definitely noticed it. I think what he realized is the Celtics defense, because they get out on pick and rolls, you're going to need to be the low man, no matter who you are, no matter what the situation. And I think that's Kemba's response to that is like, yeah, if I'm the low man on a pick and roll, I'm not going to bother the shot, you know, (laughs) like like who we play like miles bridges. If he's like thundering towards me, I'm not going to get in the way of him. Um, but I can take a charge on him. So that's been kind of his answer for, 
occasionally needing to be the weak side help as every Celtic is the, the, the scheme we play. Yeah. And it's cool to see because I mean, he is a 30, whatever, 31 year old point guard who has, you know, everyone knows he's not a great defender. He's nothing to prove on that end. Like he can just do that little walk swipe down, you know, if he wants to, but he is putting his body on the line, not to mention with the injury he history he's had over the last couple of years um, to do that is just awesome. And it just shows, you know, the way, you know, the hustle, it's contagious sometimes. Uh, I do want to get into a little bit. Yes, we beat Charlotte. Uh, we had a couple ugly losses before that. Um, losing to OKC, who is quite literally not trying to win basketball games. Um, I know we were down Tatum, Kemba. I think Rob was out as well. Um, but still, that's a game you probably should get. Um and then that loss against Charlotte, we were, we were basically healthy outside of Rob. Um, everyone was there. Uh, so I guess I'd ask you, I mean, you kind of we, – we know the reason, but w- what is the reason why this team still seems to be so inconsistent? I think for the Thunder game in particular, um, a lot of it was shooting luck. It was like we shot like four for like 20-something, maybe like 30 at that point. It was a very low number. I wish I had it off the top of my head. Um Evan Fournier, we've kind of talked about, you know, he's not the reason they've lost, but he's played into that shooting drought. And uh, I want to talk about Fournier really quickly. I just, I just am not, I haven't budged that he's going to help us out a lot. Um, I see him like making plays for others. I see him continuing advantages. It's everything Evan, Evan Fournier does. It's just the three point shot is not falling for some reason. Maybe that will improve once he recovers a little bit more from COVID. Uh, Maybe it's just, you know, shooting is fickle by nature. Um, But I want to remain firmly unworried about Evan Fournier, just as a side note. Okay. Uh, I thought you meant by your first line that you don't see him being able to help us. I thought that's what you said at first. Oh no. I said, uh, I meant I I probably used a double negative, but I I, I haven't budged on thinking he could help us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's what I meant to say. Yeah, I agree. He's doing a lot of the – it's so cliche and just like a coach talk, but the little things, like he yeah. is continuing advantages for us. And he's being put – I mean, look at what he did in Orlando. He had the ball in his hands a lot. He rarely – like I rarely even see the ball get swung to him. <clears throat> I think a lot of that is because he – all the time we have a guy who's not as proven as a shooter than him next to him on the weak side. So the defender is not going to help off Fournier. Uh, they're going to help off, you know, like we said, Neesmith or Langford uh, or Ojale or something like that. But he, uh, he's just got to get comfortable, man. I mean, it's just he went from – I mean, you look at – like Peyton Pritchard is looking him off these days. Like he's he's quite <laughs> literally like our sixth scoring option, which – I mean, not scoring option, but the sixth guy who's really being looked at to score. I mean, behind both Jays, Kemba Smart, and even like Pritchard. Um you know, he's had a rough go at it, but you can see how big he can help. I mean, just look at the, the Houston game where he scored like 21 in the fourth, hit six threes, couldn't miss. Uh, right now he couldn't hit, and I was saying to Scott before we started recording, he was one for seven last night. Um, however, no ball actually went through the hoop. He His one make was a goaltend that looked like an air ball. It was a floater. It looked like an air ball. It got swatted. Um, so he essentially didn't see the ball go through the hoop, but – um, I'm not too worried about him. And I mean, he's still playing a shit ton of minutes. Brad's not benching him, obviously. Um, he's a great player. I think defensively, he's been a little 
he it looks like a lot of the time he doesn't know what we're doing. There was that really bad play yesterday against uh against Charlotte where he and Tremont were involved in a screen and they were supposed to switch, they weren't supposed to switch. I don't know. One of one of them fucked up and they both stuck with the ball handler and it led to a wide open three. Brad was pissed and then Tremont got benched after that. So I guess it was on Tremont um who um I actually tweeted out he kind of Tremont looked good in the first half, and then the second half, he literally looked like he was like, oh, I don't want to win this game. Like, he was throwing passes away. He was missing rotations. He he was struggling. But he had a couple nice plays. Um, I'd like to see – I mean, I wouldn't like to see more minutes from Tremont, but he's – he. I don't know. He's a very interesting player. Um, he's like a pro-style point guard, but is also like score-first mentality, which is weird. He's always, like, trying to get the offense set up. Like, there was one play where Jalen Brown was asking for the ball, and Tremont pointed to Jalen fucking Brown and told him where to be. He he pointed to the opposite corner and told him to get his ass over there. Um, I don't know what the play resulted ended up in. I don't think Tremont isoed after that. That would be funny. That was like – that'd be like when Jeremy Lin waved off Kobe for the last shot. Um, but, yeah, that's all I'll say in Tremont, I guess. Well, I think uh... – Another thing, we kind of mentioned the shooting drought against the Thunder. Um, I really don't know what to attribute it to, uh, the the random losses. Um, I think just part of it is uh, we're letting our young guys like play out their mistakes a little bit more. I know that Langford got benched after the Thunder game. But, you know, a lot of these games, like, I don't think Tatum was playing during the Thunder game. Um Kemba, uh, well, actually, no, Kemba was playing. You said we had all our guys other, other than Rob Will on Sunday. I didn't honestly revisit that game too much. Um, and then, if I remember correctly, uh, a couple people were missing against Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a back-to-back, so Kemba didn't play. Um, yeah. And I believe one other I think Fournier was still. I don't yeah. know, but yeah, we. This have, is great, right? This is great radio. I know, but right? uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just like, we know that this team, when it's on, it, it, it's like, what did that judge say? What did that judge say? Where it was like ruling on what is pornography? Um, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. That's when the Celtics are playing well. I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. Wait, 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 wait. You don't know this story? <laughs> no. There was like some case about whether something was or wasn't porn. And the judge was like, ruled. He had a line that was like, I don't know. I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's kind of me and the Celtics when, when, they're, when everything's yeah. clicking. It's just working. Well, I'm I sorry. That's... I know that's not, that's not high level analysis, but that's <laughs> just my, you know, we have the, we have the ability to just like take over some of these games and we just don't sometimes, you know, for whatever reason, motor inconsistency, shooting droughts, uh, you know, plays get gummed up a little bit. It's, I still think that they, the young guys think of Jason Tatum as Kevin Durant, you know, they'll, they're like so eager to clear out for him and let him ISO. And I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's some rookie hazing going on there with Tatum and these guys. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. For this um, prank, you have to stand in the opposite corner. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me going forward, I just want to see, like you mentioned, like there's guys out every single game. Like we probably have like a big six, I guess you would say, like six really good – or seven if you count Tristan, who's actually had an incredible game yesterday. Um, 
seven guys and you kind of just like want to see some continuity between these guys, see them all out there. Speaking of which, Brad played a playoff rotation last night. He played eight guys. That's it. Um, which is good to see because he usually goes 12 deep. I mean, he DMP'd Ojale, he DMP'd Langford um, and whatnot. But that's what I just kind of want to see going forward. I mean, looking forward here at the schedule, we have San, San Antonio Friday night. Um, by the time you listen to this, that'll be tonight. Portland Sunday night. Um, and then we have Chicago and Orlando next week. Uh, hopefully start building on some things there. I mean, I'm not really concerned about the win-loss and how that goes over these four. But I just want to start seeing them start building a rhythm, build some continuity. Let's get some guys in the lineup. You know, let's play some minutes here. Because I know Rad was saying that he does not really care about the seeding. He cares about resting these guys up for the playoffs. Um, but at the same time, we need to see these guys out there playing together. Um, I just want to see them getting some good habits leading into the postseason that we may or may not be in a playing game at this point. I don't know. I think we really fumbled the bag over the last week with these losses to OKC and Charlotte um, because it's going to be a dead heat absolute battle for these four, five, six, and seven between Boston, Atlanta, New York, and Miami. I think we're all separated by a couple games. Um, Right now we are sixth, I believe. Uh, I think we own the top record over Miami. We're a game back of New York and two back of Atlanta, I think, or vice versa. Uh, But still, nothing's changed since the last time. I still want the four or five seed. (laughs) I do not want to face one of those top three teams likely get bounced in the first round, um, get the four or five seed, go from there. Um, but just, you know, I just want to see some more, just better rhythm going forward. And last night, I think, is a, it was a very good vibes win. Everyone was smiling. Everyone was having a good time. Um, so I think that's important going forward. Yeah, and even if we don't, like, even if we get bounced in the first round, um, I think it'll be in, like, five games if we play any of the top three teams. Um, whereas – even if we get bounced against like Miami or Atlanta, I think it would go to six or seven and it would be a really fun series and it would like really challenge. It would be the, it would be an appropriate challenge for a lot of the younger guys on our roster. So they wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like an overwhelming L, but like either I think they'd either win it or it would be like, Hey, we learned a lot from this series. I'll tell you what the, the, with the way media is, if they get the six or seven and they are facing one of those top teams and they lose in the first round, that's when all hell was going to break loose. Even though, like, it's like, okay, if we got the 5C, we would have faced in the second round. We would have lost there instead. Right. Um, I think there's, like, this narrative getting bounced in the first round uh, versus the second round. Um, and it would just be, like, you you know how toxic local media is here in Boston. People wanted to blow up the Utah Jazz, the, the, the first place Utah Jazz, because they got bounced in the first round, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you got anything else before we get out of here? No, I think this was a fun uh, hour or so talking basketball. Uh, we hadn't done a Celtics pod in a while, um, so it's good to be back. Yeah, I mean, both of us have – our schedules are pretty uh, – they don't exactly line up perfectly. Uh, they're pretty opposite. I work a lot of graveyard shifts. Um, Scott's, you know, a lot of second shifts, basically. I guess you would call it second shift, right? Um, but, yeah, our schedules really haven't lined up. But we're going to, you know – Playoffs are coming up, and we're going to start bumping out some more content here. Uh, but, yeah, that just about wraps it up. Thanks for listening. Uh, give us a like and review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. Uh, we're going to have a lot of new content coming out soon. Um, if you haven't already, check out Sense of Scalability and the Prima Who's Pod. Sense of Scalability, especially because 
the goat Ben Taylor was on the last episode as we as we've mentioned. We might have mentioned it earlier. Maybe, yeah, maybe. you know there was a guy on this podcast <laughs> with some guys, um, but it was awesome. It was a great episode. Um, check them out as well. Check out Premium Hoops. Um, just more importantly, as Mark Schindler says, just have a good rest of your day and peace.